0: My name is Robin Kinney. I am an entrepreneur, a mom of three, and an overall go-getter.
1: What's your business?
0: Well, I have two businesses. I own a recording studio here in Midtown Detroit where we produce all forms of audio. We specialize in audiobooks, voiceovers for commercials, different audio projects around the city. And then we also, of course, do music. We're in Motown. So we do music as well as podcasts. The second business is Motor City Woman Studios. That's a post-production audio business. And that works with clients all across the country. The projects that we work on with Motor City Woman is, it can range. It could range from video editing to podcast editing. So basically um, post-production services.
1: I'm curious, have you always done this type of work or did you work a different kind of nine to five before you became an entrepreneur? And if that's the case, what happened to make this shift?
0: Oh my goodness. So let's go back. I will start with saying that I never looked at entrepreneurship as a way to support myself. I didn't know any entrepreneurs growing up. I thought you go to college, you get a quote, good job. And you work there for 30, 35 years, you retire right off into the sunset. It wasn't until I was pregnant with my third child that I realized that I wasn't happy. I was not living the life of my dreams and I knew I deserved better. And I started making decisions of okay, how can I change this? I was working a nine to five, working for a nonprofit organization, which I loved. I loved their their mission. I love the people that I was working with. I was like, this isn't the lifestyle. So I knew I had to make a change. I started researching what is it that i like to do? Because again, I didn't know anything about entrepreneurship myself. I knew how to help other people start businesses, but I hadn't considered it for myself. So After working nine to five in the evenings, I started researching digital radio. I thought, well, maybe I'll have my own radio show. I'll start a radio station. So that's where we started. We started um, Motor City Woman Radio in 2016. It was a digital platform with an all-women-led lineup of show hosts. So people could download our app and they could listen to um, various shows on various topics and It was important to me because um, it was a direct link to growing up here in the city. There was a a local radio station. There was a show hosted by Martha Jean, the queen and Martha Jean, the queen was a a black woman who not only hosted the show, but she owned the radio station. So I didn't know it then, but that really planted the seed for what I wanted to do with my life and what that was put women on the forefront of broadcasting. So we started with the digital radio platform. And over the years, it has just transformed and evolved into
1: what you see today. When I was in second grade, I got in trouble for talking. (laughs) No surprise there. In fact, I ended up having my name put in the doghouse. It was literally a doghouse drawn on the chalkboard. And I had to sit out during recess. It's the first time that I remember being in trouble, getting in trouble for speaking it would not be the last. As a podcaster, I am able to highlight, share and reflect on the issues, values and topics that matter most to me from a lens that reflects my viewpoint and culture as well as values. I'm able to uplift the experts that often don't get shared on other creators' platforms as well. I love that this content allows me to be heard and more importantly, the medium of podcasting allows me to be heard Literally, because unfortunately, as a black woman, I'm used to not being heard or just being ignored. I'm able to share my lived experience authentically with my podcasts and the other content that I create both on my platform as well as for others. But learning the skills to market my podcast, being in community with other creators who don't talk down to me when I ask a question can be hard to find. I am so happy to be a paying member of Women of Color Podcasters, a community created by Daniel Dezier of The Thought Card, a personal finance and affordable travel website and podcast. I'm going to make sure to share a link so you can check it out. Women of Color Podcasters is the home base that I go to hang out with other creatives designing content that I'm just so excited about. If you are podcasting about Star Trek, I'm there, or business, or sex and love. Those are the the ladies creating content that I wanna support, uplift, and just geek out about. I love participating in the different workshops offered, strategy sessions, and learning about all the cool shows that these amazing creatives are producing. If you're looking for professional support and community, Women of Color Podcasters is the community that I belong to. Thank you to Danielle and Woke Podcasters for being a supporter of my show and helping me to bring this episode to life. If you would like to learn more about Woke Podcasters, please do go to MoneyHungry.com backslash W-O-C for more information. intrigued by this idea of creating a digital radio space, a broadcasting space. I love the backstory of how this was something that was a part of your life as a younger person, but what was it about elevating the voices of other Black women that was so important to you? How did you work around making money ethically within a business like this? Mm-hmm. And why why was it important to even do this? To even do it? Well,
0: it was important because there was a lack in the market, you know, while I was working my nine to five, because I didn't just quit my nine to five and, and start this radio station. That wasn't an option for me. I was pregnant with my third child, I had two little ones at home in preschool. Um, so we had to really, really balance that. But it was important because I was the customer. I was listening to talk radio at this time. You know, podcasts were just bubbling up here in the Detroit area and I couldn't find what I was looking for. That was really the impetus for Motor City Woman Studios was it's like, gosh, you know, women are only brought in on very niche subjects, fashion, style, maybe breast cancer awareness months. Where are the shows where the conversation is being led by a woman? And it was important to me that the radio network and the shows weren't just geared towards women. It wasn't a radio platform just for women. It was a radio platform where we cover a broad range of topics but the conversation is led by women. So that's a difference, you know, and that was, I think that was a a mental shift in why can't we have shows that are hosted by women, produced by women, edited by women, but covering a broad spectrum of topics. Why why is that so unique? And when I found that it didn't exist, I decided to create it myself.
1: So you create this Incredible platform, really. And you're you're a mom. You've got three littles. You're working nine to five. I need you to walk me through (laughs) how (laughs) you did this. I I understand that you had someone else who was a part of this journey with you, but this is a lot, right? And I would love for you to talk about two things, which is how you managed the workload and the trajectory. Like, how long did it take from initial ideation to where you're like, wait this thing can sustain itself. And then I think the other piece of it is just the finances. Once it was sustaining itself, I'm curious, what were the logistics around, okay, this is now what I'm going to do full-time and how did you create a benefits package and that kind of thing? So those are the two really nosy, broad questions that I'm curious about. Okay. So when we first
0: started the business in 2016, because I do have a partner, I was still working full-time and we were working on the business evenings and weekends. So, so long days weekends really didn't exist because on the weekends we had shows. We had, we were starting to get clients and you go into the marketing of it and just a whole host of things when it comes to building a business, we continued on this track for two years. So I worked for two years full-time while building the business on the side. And I think that's something that's overlooked when it comes to entrepreneurship. Everyone wants to look at the sexy side of, oh, quit your job and make six figures tomorrow, but you have to be smart about it. We did have savings so that we didn't, we didn't get a loan when we first started the business at all. And really there's no philosophical reason for that other than I didn't want anyone telling me how to run my business. I knew and how I wanted it run. I had a very clear vision for it. So I didn't want any outside investors at that time. So i worked for two years full time. And at the end of those two years, I think my employer really looked at, Hey, she's here, but she's not really here. You know, she's physically here, but they saw that the business was growing. So I became a consultant for my employer, which meant I was no longer physically there. I didn't have a location to go to. I worked on projects for my employer, but then that gave me the time and the space to really grow the business, you know, still have the comfort of um, an income. We're now going into our eighth year. Seven, no, seventh year of operation. And, you know, we were knocking on close to six figures right before the pandemic. So, when the pandemic hit, everything, of course, came to a screeching halt uh, because we had a, a location at that point. So, we transitioned from just being in my basement to we were renting space from another recording studio for a while. We outgrew that. And then we finally had a space of our own, and that was great. And then, when the pandemic hit, of course, in the state of Michigan, um, we could no longer be open to the public. And, you know, as an entrepreneur, there were pros and cons to the pandemic, of course. But one of the pros for, for me as a business owner is that it really challenged me to think outside of the box. I could no longer have people come to a physical location, but I still had clients to serve. So during the, you know, I will say the the two year, two years, 2020 and 2021, our client base grew and it not only grew locally, but it went outside of the state of Michigan. We had a few clients outside of the state of Michigan before the pandemic, but that pretty much quadrupled. And that's because we really doubled down on things like our web presence, our social media presence, um, search engine optimization, what we wanted to do, how we con- can continue to serve. And we did that by creating products. And so we can no longer just rely on services, but we looked at products as well. And I'm happy that, you know, once Motor City Woman got on some, you know, it wasn't shaky anymore. That's when we opened Audio Engineers of Detroit in July of um, 2021, and that is a physical location here in Detroit, a recording studio, and we're really happy with the progress that it's made over these last 14 months. And you know, both businesses really feed into one another. And you know, one of your questions was about you know benefits package, and you know how do you build that out? That's still a work in progress. For us, we do have independent contractors, um, so we haven't taken that leap of having um, employees of our own just yet, but we're already looking at, you know, down the line, what does that look like so that we can continue to scale the business and take on more clients outside of the state of Michigan.
1: But what about for you? So for someone who's like, I'm vaguely thinking about, you know, because the heart of Michelle is money hungry. It's a personal finance show. Mm -hmm. And I love that you talked about how people have this idea that entrepreneurship is easy, especially those first two, three years. And then you had this massive pivot that had to happen because of, of COVID. Um, but I do want to talk about like, how were you creating your benefits package for you and your family? Because you have kids get sick. Uh-huh. You, know? you get sick, mm-hmm. like things come up, you have to get your, your annual, like there's just all these things. And so if I'm a woman listening to you, talking about growing this amazing business, I will say I'm thinking, well, but how did you take care of those other things? So Mm -hmm. before we get into this part, listeners do note each state is different. So what Robin has access to may be different in terms of laws and that kind of thing than in your state. So I do want to have a little caveat with that, but what did, what did you guys do?
0: Well, my partner is also my husband and he still works full time specifically because of the benefits and because of, you know, his full-time job, his benefits cover the entire family. So it's all strategic. It's a partnership on, on several different levels. I tell people when you're starting a business, you have to think about taking care of yourself, taking care of your family and we would love for both of us to work full time in the business, but we are not there yet. We're still putting some things in place. And, uh, you know, just the other day when I was thinking about this upcoming interview, one of the things that I wish more entrepreneurs knew when it, when it came to building their business is how to master your emotions. Mm. Um, and when I say master your emotions, it means that you can be excited about the business. It's, it's growing but you have to be strategic. You know, what is the next step? What is the goal? You know, we have a lot of of meetings where we sit down and say, okay, in five years, where do we want the business to be? So now what do we need to be doing now to get to that point? So my partner is still working full time specifically for the, the benefits so that that covers our family, but we've already put together a plan how much it would cost to cover our family as he transitions out of his full-time position, which he is knocking on retirement, which is great, to working in the business full-time.
1: I love that you talk about just the intentionality around your decision-making. I get nervous when people are like, oh, I just, I just like quit. And I'm like, okay, well, I get that. But Um, if you quit, have you thought about these different things? Like everyone has a different journey. I'm not going to say that how someone does what they do is good or bad, but I do think that um, healthcare in particular, healthcare has actually come up quite a bit in these conversations with women as we discuss bettering our lives. And uh, for American women in particular, There are just certain policies that we don't have access to compared to our cousins and sisters in other countries. Mm -hmm. And so I'm wondering what policies would you love to see that would make this entrepreneurial journey easier from the perspective of of a woman and, and as a mom?
0: I can definitely speak to policies that I would like to see more of as a mother. When I started, as I mentioned, I was pregnant with my third child and had two little ones at home, so I could not attend all the cute little afterwork networking events and all these different things that were going on. Like gosh, you know, I want to be engaged, but that doesn't fit who I am and it doesn't fit my lifestyle. I will say that As a mother, uh, one of the benefits that I hope anyone who's starting a business has and that I don't take for granted at all is I have a a large support network. Both my mother and my mother-in-law are both retired. So, you know, if there's a, a sick kid at home or, you know, I need something, someone picked up, dropped off, you know, I have people To call, so that's another thing that I don't think people talk about is your support network as you're growing this business, especially if you are taking care of someone else, whether it be your parent or a child. But some of the policies that I would like to see more of are all about childcare. You know, childcare is is lacking when it people don't put childcare and entrepreneurship in the same sentence, and you shouldn't have to struggle you know just to be at the table you know i don't look at motherhood as a detriment to my journey to entrepreneurship i changed my entire mindset when it came to to motherhood and and growing a business if anything it's a value add i can time manage like no one's business okay i am super organized i have to be because i have a lot of things that are going on and they're all equally important you know, so it's not about balance. It's just about prioritizing um, during that day. The policies that I would like to see is that just in general, people looking at at motherhood as a value add and not as a detriment.
1: I used to live in Europe and I've traveled abroad quite a bit. And one of the reasons why I decided to create this season on women and money and the decisions that we make and the impact on our money is I really noticed how policy impacted American women's decisions. I don't have littles. I I would like to have children in the future. I'll be a really old mom, however that happens. But one of the things that I really am frustrated by, actually, again, I don't have kids. I get pissed off when I'm like, why is it childcare so expensive? Like this makes no sense. Why is it that we we're making kids pay for lunch? Like that makes no sense. That's their job. We just need to feed them over there. Um, so there's just certain policies that I've noticed that really impact the decision-making that women and men, quite frankly, have to consider when reflecting on decisions and choices and dreams for themselves. And especially for black families in particular, Mm -hmm. this directly impacts our ability to do other things. Oftentimes in my show, I talk a lot about policy. And the reason why is it is very obvious to me, the link between policy and choice. And so as a mom, you're like, look, I'm doing all these things there's nothing wrong with being a mom. It's just being a mom. And for you to think that it's a negative before I even come to the table, that's not fair to me. And to create a roadblock to me, even getting to the table, i.e. do I have to make a choice between staying with the kids because I can't, because it's $2,000 to put them like childcare in Denver is expensive. I can imagine, you know, imagine, and it's, easier for these ladies to do like nanny shares, like in my neighborhood, the big thing is a nanny share, Mm -hmm. but quite honestly, with the amount that they're paying for daycare, they might as well do that. Mm -hmm. Right. It frustrates me that when American women are trying to design our best lives, that before we even rush out the door, if you will, towards the, towards our goals, Mm -hmm. there's just so many roadblocks. It drives me crazy. And you know, our whole
0: cultural structure is not built on of the caretaker of the child also being outside of the home. Right. This is all designed. This we didn't just stumble upon this and like, oh my gosh, now how am I going to do this? This was all designed. You you know, it was not designed for, for me as the main caretaker, caretaker of my children to work outside of the home. Like, you know, when I was working full time, I was like, gosh. Why is it that school lets out at three and I don't get off until five? Oops. This doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Why? And then I have to pay for those two hour, that two hour gap. Uh-huh. It wasn't um, designed for me. And once wait, I got wait, into that, wait, wait, wait. you have to
1: pay for the gap. There's no like after school. You have to pay for for after school care. You better believe it. Yeah. It's that. not free. What?
0: Yeah. They have to pay for that. that, You know what? Um, I only had to do it ever so often because they went to, to grandparents' homes, Uh, but when they were little and it's more expensive when they're smaller, of course, because if they're not potty trained, forget about it and don't be late because then it's a a fee like
1: for every minute you're late.
0: (laughs) It's like you're trying to make me fail. I
1: actually feel like this is a good segue into, we're going to talk money more, but just the heart of this conversation is also just how are you, how can women better design, how can American women better design their lives so that they're living lives, their lives intentionally while earning money in ways that light them up and mm-hmm. can sustain them and and quite honestly also earn money in such a way that they're not scrimping and saving. So I guess yeah. my question would be what are your thoughts about for a woman who's listening to this conversation and who's like look I have a lot of dreams too but everything you you ladies just talked about is why I'm I'm afraid to pursue them. And maybe they don't have a spouse who can supplement the insurance quite frankly, you know. Um, So what are some of your thoughts on how, how someone listening to this can slowly begin working towards designing their best life, whether it's through, you know, we're talking about through entrepreneurship, but Mm -hmm. what, what does that look like when there's so many roadblocks, financial roadblocks in particular? I love
0: this question about designing the life that you want. Because I think the root of it is for for most American women, they've never even been asked that question. What do you want? Some women I know don't even know what they want. They're just on autopilot. You go to college, you graduate, you get a job, maybe get married, you have children, dot, 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 and then that's it. And one of the challenges I would have for, for any woman, whether they have kids at home, or not is to first sit down and think about and visualize, and, and these are things that I did. I did these things. I visualized what would a perfect day look like? What would be something where I would be like, gosh, I made it. What does that look like? What does that feel like? Now, what are the things I need to do to bring that to fruition? Okay. One of the things was really looking at how I spend my time. If you know all the names of the Housewives franchise, but you have not connected with people (laughs) within your industry, I don't want to hear it. I have the same 24 hours as you. I have three children, one being special needs. I don't know what's going on with different sitcoms and shows. Okay. I'm intentional with how I spend my time. I'm intentional with building in joy into my day, into things that I like. When when your question about how do you design a life that you deserve, I put in the things that I like. So I don't wake up in the morning saying, oh gosh, I wonder what today is going to be. I wake up in the morning. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to talk to Michelle today. I'm so excited because I scheduled that massage. I'm so excited because I, I, I built in two hours at the park today where I'm just going to walk and I'm going to sit there and I'm going to listen to affirmations because that's my jam. Those are things that you have to ask yourself, especially as women, because we give and we give and society takes and takes and take. And if you don't sit down and really put yourself first without thinking this is selfish, then you know you're just poor and poor and poor. And then we wondering why you're drained. You know, when I am on social media, I, I just see a lot of people who oh, I'm exhausted. I'm mentally exhausted. You know, I'm drained. I'm this. I'm like, how are you spending your time? What, what are you scheduling? How do you spend your money? You know, we we're talking about finances and money. How do you spend your money? Are you investing in yourself? Are you investing in your talent? Are you investing in your career? Now, yes, I do have a partner who, you know, covers, you know, our insurance so that I can concentrate on the business. And that's something that I am grateful for. But if that partner was not there, believe me, I would figure it out some other way. I would most likely still be working full time and doing my business on the side. You have the time. The time, the time is there and the resources are there. And I don't think we talk enough about um, bartering in the beginning stages of my business. There was no marketing budget. There was no, you know, budget for a bookkeeper, but I bartered, you know, I knew people in different industries say, and I would say, you know, can I offer you this because I need that. Don't, Accept money as an excuse not to do something. Money is just an energy, you know, that's nothing. Think about the intention. What is the goal? You know, start looking at, okay, so I want to connect with this person. Okay. You know, have I looked on LinkedIn? Have I looked at, you know, we were talking about conferences where I can be in the same room with people in the industry that I want to be in. Maybe I'm not there yet. But just connecting and and networking, you know, um, I think that's another aspect that has really helped in our business is networking and relationship building and cultivating relationship building, not just DMing someone and asking for something that's rude, A, and B, the likelihood is low that they're going to respond because you, you haven't cultivated their relationship you know, just cultivating, you know, I learned a lot from my grandparents and my, my great aunt about relationship building. I had a mentor when I used to be an AmeriCorps intern right out of college. And my supervisor, Ms. Diana Stewart, I will never forget her because she would always tell me people like helping people who they like be likable. That doesn't mean be a pushover. That doesn't mean to kiss somebody's butt. That means to be likable. Um, to be of value to that person. And it has nothing to do with money, but just having a, a a good attitude, showing up with an attitude of service, of serving first before asking something. And I think all those things put together will ultimately get you to where you want to go, but you have to first know where that is.
1: I was thinking about the following question as you we were talking Um, because all of a sudden I was like, I have to ask this question. In a past life, I got a master's degree in public administration with an emphasis on nonprofit organization management. And when I completed the program, it was a great program. I was like, I'm never going to work for a nonprofit. Mm. And I say this to lead into the question, which is, what was it like going from nonprofit to entrepreneurship? And what were some of the the mindset shifts you had to embrace because those are very interesting business models. And I do think that it's interesting. You're providing a really needed service. You're uplifting the voices of women and women of color, black women in particular. How do you go from, yes, I'm, I'm of service, but you know, I got to pay my bills. (laughs) and in nonprofits it's very much passion led a lot of times mm-hmm. and that can be to the detriment of the bottom line if you've got someone who's not really zeroed in on focusing on that piece or the passion overrides the profit for whatever reasons this is a broad question but if you could answer that i think that's going to be very interesting because there are a lot of women listening who are in nonprofit jobs and in nonprofit roles and to to shift to something that is, you need to make money to make this happen. It's a, mm-hmm. I think a big deal.
0: Yeah, it is a big deal. And, and, it, and it was certainly was a shift. And I worked in the nonprofit space for 10 plus years. I, I loved what I did. And I worked around women who, yes, they they may have led with their heart, but they were very clear on the bottom line and they knew how much money we needed to fundraise, how much how many prints we needed. We supplemented that with services. You know, we we looked at, okay, where is the gap and how can we fill that gap in a way that's aligned with our mission? Now, going from the nonprofit sector to entrepreneurship, it took me years to get to the point of, I need to charge what I am worth. I am not meant to struggle. And there's no, metal for saying, oh my gosh, I'm going to do this. And I'm, I'm only getting by on, on scraps. There's no metal in that at all. It probably took me about five years to, to make that, to make that shift, to be quite honest with you. But once I made that shift and there were one client in particular We were doing a live broadcast for her. And she wanted me to come and interview guests as they were coming in. And I I sent her the invoice after I had done it. And she sent me a letter back and she had doubled the invoice. And she sent a note that said, charge what you are worth. Wow. Power. What was that like for you? It was humbling to have someone who I didn't necessarily have a relationship with. You know, we were. It was cordial, you know. I was providing a service for her, but it was humbling. It, it really, I sat down and I said, Gosh, oh my gosh, am I worth that? I'm worth that. That's a lot. Jeez. But from there, you know,
1: <laughs> over time, and looking you don't, at you don't a, have
0: to ask me twice to keep yeah, those rates up. <laughs> you, you only have to do that once. In another instance, I remember being in a meeting with a colleague who does a, a similar service, white male. And we were talking about a project that I didn't have the capacity for. And I said, you know, hey, you have interest in this, in this project. How much would you charge her? His rates were five times what, what my rate was and said it with a straight face. I updated my website that afternoon. Wow. Wow. I sure did. I updated my website and didn't look back. You know, I really did some work around why I was lowballing myself because, you know, we don't talk about that. Why why do I feel like I deserve only
1: that much? Were you lowballing yourself or did you just not know? I have a different podcast about brand building, and that's typically where we would have like a, a like a conversation really like going deep in like pricing and stuff. However, I think this is a really good conversation for the show because, again, back to policy and access. I wonder if you were in, say, like a mastermind group, and mm-hmm. everyone's like, look, this is how much you need to be charging, then you would know. How would you sure. know? what you don't know, I guess is my question. And one of the things that I love right now is this pay transparency movement. In Colorado, we didn't know that we had a pay transparency, transparency law pass because I think it passed during 2020. So we didn't know what, what was going on. And we didn't know it passed until we started getting blackballed from jobs across oh, wow. the US. And so what they would say is Anyone else can apply, but Coloradans, <laughs> because we have a law that you have to share the rates. Wow. But now New York and California have—I mean, once California is on board, which is the fifth large, I think the fifth largest economy in the world, it's like game over, right? Yeah. But we we had this law that no one knew about until it passed, and then we we were like, why can't we apply for things? Yeah. And they were like, we cannot share. We will not share the, the pay range. And so Mm -hmm. I say this to say in entrepreneurship, one of the challenges I think for underrepresented communities in spaces like podcasting and things like that, especially creative spaces where sometimes it feels a little ephemeral, right? Like, Mm -hmm. well, I don't know what to charge. It's like how gatekeeping happens is really Mm -hmm. different. It's not just what we think in our brain. It's the access to people. Right, mm-hmm. and and so I want to know how have you worked on bridging the gap between what you know and what gatekeeping you know is out there, and making sure because each year is different, making sure that you're always charging what you feel your services are worth, especially over time because yeah. you're you're building authority and influence over time.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And you know, one of the things that
0: that you just said was within the creative industry. And I, I think because we are, you know, so into what we create, you know, we have we have to look at it as this is reflective of who I am. And so I think the rate should be even even more than that because, you know, this is a unique product that I'm creating and and, and that I am offering. In general, I look at what the industry, you know, dictates when it comes to to different pricing. I may browse a few websites from time to time. I'll say annually, I'll do something like this. I look at, you know, of course, the number of hours that it's going to take. And In general, I never take on probably more than five or six clients a quarter. And that's because I've designed a life that, I love and I don't want to struggle and I don't want to be stressed. Um, and I really want to dive into each client and, you know, and really absorb and, and, and give it my all. But when, in the in the pricing conversation, looking at, you know, what's going on in the industry. So that's research, that's asking. And yes, there there is a lot of gatekeeping, but I've found that Typically, you can just ask a person, what are your rates for this? And maybe if you don't feel comfortable just coming out and asking, you can do what I did, you know, in in my example saying, you know, I have a project that I can't do, you know, how much would you charge for this? And typically people will, people will let you know, I've, I've never had someone say, oh, no, I can't you know, I can't tell you how much I charge, I, I think that's a good way to see where you fall within that spectrum. And if, if you're at the beginning of your career, maybe you start at the at the average and then kind of work yourself up. And, and that's pretty much what I've done. You know, I've steadily increased it depending on the complexity of the project. Sometimes I may give a discount to um, return clients, of course, who are coming back for a repeat Um, services. So building in those types of things, but I also look at my, my budget, you know, I, I look at, you know, the, the things that we have in place. We look at, of course, retirement and saving, but also fun things that we like doing, you know, last spring, I woke my girls up super early and we hopped on a train and took, spent the weekend in Chicago. You know, those are things that I've built into my budget and, and that is directly aligned with my pricing for my services.
1: I love that. In a lot of the conversations about women designing their best lives, the word selfish came up. When you hear that word in connection with this topic, what are you, what are your thoughts? When I
0: think of the word selfish, and particularly when it comes to, to women and, and living the life that they deserve, I always think of who planted that seed that you didn't deserve that. Why are you labeling happiness, fulfillment, financial abundance, and the pursuit of that as selfish? Because there, there's a root there. And I think that's the work of looking at, well, why do I think it's selfish for me, to be able to get eight hours of sleep, why is that selfish? When I may insist that my children get eight hours of sleep, why do I not, not deserve eight hours of sleep? You know, <laughs> and, and, and things like that. I always get eight hours of sleep, and I have a lot going on. But that—that's those certain things that feed yourself and that are supportive of your health and well-being should be non-negotiables. I don't know. I don't care who's asking. Nope. You know, my my kids know that my, my bedroom was my sanctuary. That is not a place to be in or jumping on my bed. That That's non-negotiable, you know, tea time in the, in the evening. But again, look at it from a place of when I am well, when I am whole, that allows me, the capacity to take care of the people I love. Look at it from that space and it'll make it a little easier.
1: We're wrapping up and I have one or two last questions. I'm wondering for someone who is at the really beginning stages of preparing to take the leap into entrepreneurship. And I'm going to actually say this specifically, and they do not have, maybe they have a partner, but they do not necessarily have access to all the things that you did. Right. Okay. So maybe they do have support in some sort of way. What are some of the financial strategies that you would encourage them to consider in preparation for the eventual switch over mm-hmm. to entrepreneurship? Like what are some things that you think they should think of things that you wish you had or wish you'd prepared for better and mm-hmm. lessons learned?
0: I think anytime you're about to make a huge change in your life, and we're talking about going from a, working a nine to five to uh, becoming an entrepreneur is to have that savings cushion somewhere, you know, like a high yield savings account where, you know, and again, I worked for two years full a time before I was officially out of, you know, working for someone else. And within that time or even leading up to that time, just putting some money up, putting some money up so that you can just have a cushion there as you build your business, you know, as you're, you know, creating your business, your business need things, you have to bring on professionals for different things. And you want to make sure that you've put aside money that is earmarked just for that. It'll it'll just take some, some stress and alleviate some of of doubt of, can I do this? When you have that money set aside that's earmarked just for your business, then it'll give you uh, more comfort, I believe, you know, as you begin it and as you grow it. I believe everyone has a unique talent um, to give to the world and utilizing what that talent is to serve the world will bring about the financial abundance that you desire.
1: I really believe that. For those of us who would like to work with you or are curious about your services, how can we find you? Well, Motor City Woman
0: is on all social media platforms at Motor City Woman. Our website is MotorCityWoman.com. If you are in the Detroit area or you will be visiting Detroit soon, you can visit our recording studio in the heart of Midtown Detroit, Audio Engineers of Detroit, and that website is aedetroit.com.
1: Thank you so much for coming on the show. I really enjoyed this conversation. By the way, you look so relaxed as a, for a mom of three little kids. I cannot believe uh, that your mom. You know what? It's because you're getting your eight hours of sleep. I'm I getting my you.
0: eight hours of sleep. We I didn't believe have you have some, I had some tea um, <laughs> la- last night. I have tea time in the, my kids go to bed at eight o'clock. Uh, so I have tea time after that. I do some reading. I listen to some different sound frequencies, honey.
1: It's all intentional. All right. Well, you know what? (laughs) Thank you, though. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much. And I just wish you continued success. Thank you so much, Michelle, for having me.